Hi, it's Alex. Um, we recorded this in August, and then I went back to school, so it didn't get edited until now, but happy, happy Homestuck Day. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Hello, and welcome to the Hamstake Podcast. It's the podcast where we talk about Homestuck and read it, I mean, and tell you about it. That is accurate. Um, <laughs> this is Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. Um, <laughs> Has I've not never... read Homestuck <laughs> <God>. before. <laughs> it's early in the morning, folks, but we got this. Um, I've never read Homestuck before. And my name's Lydia, and I super have. Kinda. Um, <laughs> so today we are, we're in the run-up to Cascade. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, this reading ruled. I, uh, since like our hiatus, uh, and last time was like kind of a, a recap of stuff we'd already read. Um, this is my first like new stuff in a while. And it's like, oh yeah, this is good. Yeah. It makes me really excited to hear you say that because honestly, unfortunately, um, this part is so dense. Um, I spent so much time trying to figure out how to break up these readings that I have read <laughs> this goddamn section of text uh, so many times that for me, unfortunately, I really think like pretty much all of the cool value is just gone. And I, which is in another way to appreciate it because like Homestuck, I feel like is a lot of um, just like, oh shit moments mm-hmm. for lack of like a better word. And once you take that phenomenon away, it's it's weird to be able to actually, like, kind of see the bones of it a little better. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, I guess. Like, yeah, I, as a first-time reader, I'm just kind of, like, along for the ride here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't expect it to really make complete sense as I'm going through it, but it feels like it's going somewhere. Mm, that's a that's a great way to describe it. Um it definitely is going going somewhere. This is I've so been listening to our old episodes, like our old first episode, <laughs> and I remember I, I talked about how Hussey did. Um, I completely forgot about this. He described his storytelling method as retroactive foreshadowing, where basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, he would just account for things, uh, like in the he would just you know kind of make random decisions and then later on act like they had been deliberate and part of you know complicated machination and like those those chickens are starting to come home to roost (laughs) a little bit (laughs) and uh we're starting to see what happens when you do that right and i think like an important part of it is that he's upfront about that like every (laughs) like the first like few pages where you're describing everything about john um i don't as the reader expect all those things to have been planned out to have repercussions 5,000 pages from now, but it does make sense for him to invent repercussions for them, Mm -hmm. basically. I guess it is just storytelling, huh? It's, but it's, it's, it is unique storytelling. Like, it's, it's a very unique tone, I think. Um, or at least, like, it's a good example of a kind of tone that's less prominent than, like, serious storytelling. Yeah, it feels almost like, It's almost more in line, I'm not, like, necessarily holding Hussey up on the same level as these gentlemen, but it feels in line with, like, a Terry Pratchett, or, like, a Douglas Adams, where it's, like... I think so. I think think that's a fair comparison. Um, He's, like, the millennial Terry Pratchett. Yeah! He doesn't take this shit seriously. Like, he, like, does, but he doesn't. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? Um, Hey, cool. Oh, doing this stuff in the morning is great. I'm way less cynical about it. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about pages? Yeah, um, so we start uh, on uh, homestuck.com's uh, slash page 
3659, which is still super weird to say. Yeah. <sighs> I'm not going to get into it. You got to get on it. We're on a mission today. Um, okay. Yes. So when we begin, I really hope that y'all went back and like listened to the last episode. So you remember what happened before this? Because like, <laughs> I don't, if I were to do a recap right now, I don't even know where I would start. Well, I mean, I can, like, I, I didn't go back this time, but basically, like, John is, like, going into this big hole in Skaya. Um, time to and, go in the hole. Time to go in the hole. Um, and so he ends up in this big chamber in the center of this battlefield planet uh, where the tumor is. And what it looks like is a big spiky yin-yang orb. Uh, and it's sick. It's <laughs> Well, it's a tumor, so it literally is, I suppose, a a (laughs) symptom of of sickness. But yeah, it's sick looking. It's got this, like, painterly art style to it. And, like, Mm -hmm. um, it looks like a horse chestnut. It looks like a really evil horse chestnut or possibly a Oh, you're right. That's so funny. Um, My first note was, like, this is, like, it should be such a cool vinyl design, and that must exist. Like, one of the... One of... Someone must have made, like, a vinyl pressing of Homestuck soundtrack with this design. Oh, with the edges cut out and everything? I haven't even thought of that, but yeah, that'd be great. That'd be dope. You can make, like, shaped vinyls, like. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, so he finds it. Um, the tumor is a giant bomb. It's in the center of the battlefield, um, the, like, sort of four-dimensional planet thing in Skya where the great battle takes place. And um, John has dug it out to take it and blow up the green sun. In an effort to destroy the power source that is fueling Becquerel, and thereby Beck Noir, who is about mm. to destroy everyone. Um, and some just some pieces of trivia that you see around the inside of that uh, cavern on like your twentieth reading. Um, on the walls are some symbols. Yeah, it's the um, the Prospect and Durse uh, symbols, the moon and the inverted moon. <laughs> Moon, I guess waxing and waning is what those are. Um, and uh, with the corresponding kid symbols, so there's the wind and the uh, the spiral for uh, John and Jade. And then there's the sun and the uh, gear for Rose and Dave. Oh, wait, but the sun isn't Rose's symbol. I just realized that. Uh, is it, though? Isn't her symbol the, the squiddle? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, All I have in my notes is like Alex thoughts. Uh, I d- like I just realized that that wasn't the same one because I'm looking at it again. Oh man! Oh, I'm excited for that's that so. Goes. Wait, so I'm, am I right though? The three, the other three are the correct symbols. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, interesting. Um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so this sun. Am I correct in remembering that this is like the sun that appears in the sky above Earth? Yes. In Homestuck. Okay. And it also, uh, Rose, obviously, is connected to the green sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure that there is meaning behind this. Yes. Great. Um, yes, it is. Um, I think I the, the other important plot-relevant thing that we need to note is that the tumor shows a magic eight-ball face, which mm-hmm. is, you know, we know somebody that likes a magic eight-ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a countdown from 1025. Yeah. Um, and that is a significant number. So 413 is the Homestuck number because that's the date when it started. Um, and, uh, what is it? 1025 is the date the Trolls arc started. Okay. Um, so that's sort of the Troll 413. Right. Um, 
John puts this um, asteroid-sized bomb in his wallet. It's funny. Yeah, which I la- I genuinely like just laughed at it loud because <laughs> I forgot about the whole capture log thing. It's a good, it's a good bit. It's always funny. Um. So then he flies out of the hole, and it's Liv Tyler. She's back. It's the bunny. Yeah, not not human Liv Tyler. It's a, <laughs> a patchwork robot rabbit, if you recall. Yeah. And uh, Liv Tyler has met up with um, the Wayward Vagabond and the Courtyard Droll. Mm-hmm. Um, she has lost all of her weapons, except for a little rainbow hammer. It looks kind of like <laughs> at the doctor when they, like, hammer him. Oh, yeah, you're right. When you're a child. It looks like that. Um, yeah, so there's there's some, like, shenanigans with this Liv Tyler. She passes a note to John that's from Jade, uh, explaining that the bunny now has uh, some functions. Uh, it has a red and green eye, or it has red eye and a green eye. Uh, the green eye monstrosifies things, as in makes them mm-hmm. bigger, and the red eye littleifies things. It, this is true. Um, where are you getting that it's from Jane? Uh, it was in her handwriting. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's green. <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's just Jay, so I'm guessing it's not her. Okay, I, it's, it is, I, um, the narrative would certainly lead you to believe that it is Jane. I'll tell you that the the uh, the persona in which it is written does not feel like Jade is what I'm saying. You're right. <laughs> I yeah, you're right. Um, and it's also written with like capitalized letters, which I don't believe Jade does. People who are familiar with the story are screaming. <laughs> I I I, re- I remember now that what what who it is who I haven't met yet. Oh no! I mean it. It's been like three years since I started this. I have piece together some things yeah that's true um that's all the <laughs> authentic homestuck reading experience <laughs> chip away at it it's like it's like reading scripture um <laughs> no um it is like reading lord of the rings though yeah which to be fair is sort of pretending it's scripture right pretending to be fable um shit i totally lost i totally spaced out <laughs> Um, um yes, so we were talking about this mysterious letter. Um it's written in a really fun character persona of like this like old timey scamp, but also a lot of swear words. <laughs> so it's cool. It's fun. Which like to to be fair, I like just kind of like it was like, oh okay, that's a Jade kind of thing to do, I guess. Mm. But it is it's mm. it's not Jade, it's it's close to Jade. Um It's Jade Jason. Jade, it's adjacent. Oh, yours is better. Adjacent. Um, but yeah, um, John guesses it's probably just Jade. <laughs> yes. Um, Liv Tyler has lost all of her weapons, which is really sad. She used to have a bunch of, like, super powerful weapons. I don't remember why she had a bunch of super powerful weapons. Just, like, time shenanigans, mm-hmm. and shenanigans and stuff like that. But the breeze blows back this tiny little garish clown hammer. And now that John realizes he can embiggen it, um, he creates... The Warhammer of Zillyhoo. Oh, I love the Warhammer of Zillyhoo so much. I have been thinking about the Gregorian chant that accompanies the introduction of the Warhammer of Zillyhoo. Yeah, it's it's something. Since 2012. Oh. It's, it's very funny. <laughs> I'm not going to treat you to like a rendition of it, but it is, it is, I swear to God, it's a Gregorian chant. It literally is, yeah. <laughs> Of the Warhammer of Zillyhoo, just that's the lyric. Um, but what's cool is uh, what's cool about it is as it's playing, there's 
drum beats and creepy cuts of Gamzee standing over a terrified car cat holding Zillyhoo. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, we don't do anything with that. Just cut right back to John. <laughs> um, and there's a bunch of jokes about how John is a friend leader and a pal honcho who makes request orders. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not a. He's not their leader. Right. He's not their boss. But he is. Um. So CB is an excellent henchman, and I would say a friend-shaped boy. He is friend-shaped. <laughs> I will say that. Um. But while uh John was like getting excited about his new hammer um the green eye on the bunny just like immediately went missing oh shit yeah i forgot that it's pretty important i assume it does i don't remember i think did wv eat it uh i don't think that's clear i don't think he ate it oh wait no there's a green burp so i'm assuming yes yeah i think he ate it (laughs) (laughs) um but uh cd who is a a friend-shaped boy gives um live an eye patch for her damaged eye Mm -hmm. And then uh, John sends them all, including CD, who has just appeared out of nowhere, but just appears trustworthy, um, sends them all to Durse on a uh, battleship that he has used Liv Tyler's eye to, like, shrink down. Um, and their job is going to be to deploy the tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes a note of, like, he doesn't remember who C- like where CD came from, but he seems nice enough. Yeah, I mean, and he does. He's a sweetie. CD has been caught up in things bigger than him. <laughs> True, he is like an agent of chaos, but not a very effective one. Yeah, like chaotic good, <laughs> I would say. Oh, I would play, oh, I don't know, people are out there doing this already, but like, I would play like a TTRPG of like, just like the Midnight Crew or something. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I was like, imagining like a TTRPG of Spurb. Um, but that would be like that would be impossible to actually like do properly because you'd have to know exactly what was going to happen and like write it out beforehand. Oh, I want to! I want to try it. I can't! I can't take time and like hash out how it would work. <laughs> but like, oh, oh, I want to find out a way of like it wouldn't be like home stuff. Yeah, where, like everything plays into everything else. Um, but it would be cool, right? Because like the the way that the battlefield is created is all influenced by um what your players prototype Mm. and it is imperative you do not tell your players that that's going to happen i wonder yeah i wonder if you could like would you play it with people who've never played never read homestuck or with people who who have or with a mix Mm, that's true you could play it with a mix you could play it with people who all had and i guess it's really on you to be creative with how you take the things that they prototype their sprites with Mm mm-hmm but it's like it actually sounds like a really cool GMing exercise, right? You they they give you prompts essentially, and then you get to build a bunch of planets mm-hmm. and local mythologies. Yeah, and that sounds really cool. I think a, a very simplified version of it could be done. It would be a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah. So uh, John, um, unfortunately, uh, when he gave his wallet to the bomb crew, left uh, his communication device in there <laughs> um silly boy yeah and so we see um a, a pester log of jade like messaging him of just like you don't have a computer do you and there's just like a shot of him like with a clown face on like waving like a moron yeah. at, the, um, <laughs> at the departing battleship and she goes we have to get you some lunch muffs as backup computers and thus dirty <laughs> um but john so john can you hear my cats? Hang on. No. Nope. Okay, that's good. I wish I could, though. I live with, I live with a bunch of loud animals <laughs> now. 
I live, I feel like such a, I feel like I wake up on a farm, I wake up, I gotta like separate the cats from the dogs so I can run the dog outside, I'm like barefoot in a bunch of wet grass, wait for the dog to take a shit, bring her back in, route her, get her toy, route her back into her room mm-hmm. so I can go home and feed the cats. Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. I'm barefoot in a long skirt too, so it's like illusion complete. <laughs> um... Oh, um, so John nominally is, like, staying back, um, he, he wants to stay back on the battlefield so that he can keep looking for his dad, because recall, Vriska knows his dad's dead and hasn't told him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so he goes off and he's gonna investigate, um, it's actually cool, it's been throughout this sequence, what you think are maybe just, you know, tendrils of the battlefield or whatever are slowly, like, um, cause it has kind of, like, overhead, like, arching bridges and stuff. But they grow and they fan out and they're very clearly like something weird and tenderly and black is happening. Yeah, it's like on the horizon. Like an ink storm almost. That's such a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's like on the horizon, like you said, um, there's this like cyclone of blackness with purple lightning, um, which seems like a a great place to go look for your dad. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, unfortunately, he's right. Yeah. so he investigates this grimdark uh, phenomenon. Yeah, he flies over and then we begin um, a pretty pretty involved game. Um, you're mostly Rose. Yeah. Well, I guess you're Rose the whole time. Um, it's called Seer Descend in our like ascend and descend theme. Mm-hmm. And um, it starts with an animation of Rose descending. Um, her skin has gone like dark gray and her eyes are glowing and she's... Um, she's inside of this cloud of tentacles, this huge cloud of tentacles unraveling around her. Yeah, so she descends down onto the, um, balcony where, uh, her mom and John's dad, like, lied dead and bloody. Um, and she just kind of walks past them and doesn't have, like, like, if you in- investigate their bodies, like, in the game, she just, like, she's only here for Jack, she says. It's very chilling. Yeah, yeah, the the no sign of Jack here. And like part of this is like, oh, this was so this was this was more noteworthy in twenty eleven when this was coming out. But like I it's cool that we have like girl characters that are robust and her entire character point is not like she wasn't nobody before she, you know, started having a revenge thing. Like what am I what am I trying to say? She's having, like, this crazy revenge breakdown, but it's, like, not gendered. Right, yeah, that makes sense. How rare do, do, like, girl characters get to do that? We're like, oh, now she's powerful. Like, she was always powerful, and now she's just going off the deep end, and everybody's kind of very worried for her, actually. Yeah. As opposed to it being like, oh, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, this is great. It's like, oh, oh, fam, what's going on? (laughs) Um... Yeah, uh, the music rips. I want to. I want to shout out the music rips, and I forgot to look up who um, who made it. I want to add it to the show notes if we can. Um, it rips. It's um, it starts out as like a creepy music box over like violin and strings and choir, and um, violin is like Rose's like kind of theme instrument, mm-hmm. and then um, everything um, kind of goes like movie score epic, um, and it adds some like electronic runs to it and some really pounding drums it becomes very sinister yeah oh it's cool it's great it's yeah it's it's really good um and as she descends down this uh spiral staircase as she comes across these like dismembered bodies of uh carapace people uh from like both black and white there and 
they uh there are some survivors that she encounters uh and they are all like just terrified because jack's here um and then she finds some trophies in these chests and they seem to be like the mementos of the slain guardians like uh mom's scarf bro's sunglasses dad's hat yeah uh which who's putting these in chests like why is why is jack putting them there Ah. i mean like it's 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 both like uh kind of an ab- abstracted game mechanic like way of just having these items here um but also later on uh the trolls kind of like lampshade the the chests in in their like uh meteor lab hideout yeah yeah so shortly afterwards so the idea is probably that jack actually put these here for some reason um the the whole thing is pretty cool it's all um i won't get into it but um, on a first read, it's probably pretty neat. Um, as she explores the tapestries and and library books scattered around, um, there's all these references, these like vague mythical references to characters, some of which bear a little resemblance to what's been going on with the kids, mm-hmm. and the others that seem like they're supposed to be like foreshadowing of things that the kids might do. Yeah, it, um, it's written as like um, mythology or lore. Or, or even prophecies. like prophecies um, from the uh, Carapace people. Yeah. Um, then there's a thing that um, pays off later in this episode. So um, at the end of it, Rose has to go through um, a whole bunch of curtains yeah, um, to get to... Like four sets of red curtains, then blue, then red again. Uh, and then green ones. Yeah, six green ones then. And so um, those are... They're going to come up later. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get back to that. Um and um, then John finds, or J- uh, Rose finds John before she finds Jack. And um, John wants to go, uh, or or John is looking for his dad. And so Rose can't speak. She's speaking in like the eldritch tongues. Yeah. But she, you you know, in the game, you can take him back out and show him his dad. And the game just ends. Yeah. Um. I, so there's two choices, basically, that you can go forward and you can go back and show him like back through the whole thing. Um, and I didn't realize that, like, if you took him back to see his dad, like, that's the actual ending. And, like, at that point, the game ends and the next panel is then there. Um, so I don't actually know what was up ahead because I never, I didn't want to, like, do the whole thing again. Oh, oh, okay. What is ahead? I think the game also just ends you keep going, right? Um, like, I, I don't know if, like, there's only one more room. But, like, when you when you meet Jack or John, um, there is, like, a door, like, north of you. Yeah. But I don't know. It's, uh, I didn't go back and check what was there. Okay. Uh, I don't think there is anything. I think it just kind of kicks you out. Okay. And so... It's uh, important to note, this is also um, their first time face-to-face, I think. Yeah. And she's, yeah. like, speaking in tongues. Uh, it's really it's really sad. Yeah. It is sad. These kids get to meet their, their online friends, but only in, like, the most dire of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, once the game ends, uh, John sees Jack... Uh, hovering over the bodies of the guardians um and they go to fight but jack just immediately teleports and stabs john yeah instantly um just right through the torso yeah and then uh uh, rose gears up for round two and jack teleports them out somewhere among lots of green stars and fade to black yeah there's just like an explosion of green stars um but then we cut to uh dave um who is in some kind of mushroom cave Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's confronting the the stabbed body of his dead bro. Yeah. Um, the first thing I actually wrote for this scene is that Dave's hair didn't age well. Because <laughs> it was cool kid hair in 2010 and it ain't. 
It's like anymore. Justin Bieber hair. No, it's so is Justin Bieber hair. Um, but uh, now that I've kind of completely belittled the, there is some gravity in this scene. Um, it's Terezi reaches out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you want to introduce this? Because there's a lot going on in this scene. Um, basically, um, I feel like Dave is just trying to be uh come off as too ironically detached to allow himself to be seen grieving. Yeah, like he he doesn't want uh. He doesn't want Terezi to, like, be watching him ha- experiencing this, basically. That's, yeah, that's my read on it, is, like, and then he does kind of open up to her, and it, it to me, my read on it, at least this time, is, like, he's actually, he's really not sure, like, he is having very complex grief, because he had a very weird, mm-hmm. you know, complicated relationship with his guardian. Um, if you, I mean, if you remember, all of these characters have very, like, sort of antagonistic, almost, yeah, sort of fraught relationships with their guardians, all of whom genuinely, you know, their guardians, like, loved them and wanted the best for them, but, like, did shit, like, you know, Rose's mom was, like, always drunk and, like, engaged in these really weird, like, passive-aggressive, like, one-upmanship, almost prank wars, and, like... Dave's bro like would fill their fridge with explosives. Yeah, I mean, like literally, like literally antagonistic relationships, um, uh, which are like seem to be like training for the the shit they're putting up with in Spurb. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and so he's kind of hashing out this this experience that he's having with her and about how um he doesn't want to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not. He's not cut out for this. And um, Terezi wants to... Uh, Terezi kind of hijacks the conversation and makes it about her. And to be fair, when it, when Dave makes it clear, he doesn't really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave tries to cheer himself up, I guess. Uh, at least that's what I'm seeing it as, by doing a cool move to, like, spring the sword out of his brother. <laughs> he wants to break it off, because that's his thing. So he tries to, like, Rather kick it than, off. yeah. But he, he, rather than, like, breaking it, he does an acrobatic fucking pirouette off the handle. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, uh, Tracy says acrobatic fucking pirouette off that handle. Um, and then Dave remarks that uh, that's, like, a, a motif. Um, and he's making a point of making every little thing take place. Oh, I'm, re- I'm reading a quote here. Uh, Dave says, that's what I'm doing here. I'm making a point of making every little thing take place what was once mentioned in passing. No matter how seemingly trivial or pointless, that's how the best. Uh, that's how all the best adventures get strung together. Um, <laughs> Andrew Hussey turns and looks directly at the camera. Yeah, not literally, because I know he he does actually do <laughs> he that does, in the do, story. No, I'm, that's, that I'm editorializing. But yeah, like the he just kind of like he's kind of sick of this being trapped in this like non-linear story. Basically, he doesn't want to be a hero of the story. Yeah, his story really is extremely nonlinear, too. He's, you know, this has been, they allude to it, I can't remember if it's in this reading or in some of the scenes that they reference in this reading, because I did some backtracking, but um, it's been about a day for the other characters. It's been about three days for him. Mm-hmm. But three I don't think that, I don't think that was mentioned days. here, but yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, he's watched his, his um, uh, lots of, you know, time offshoots of himself die. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been hard. Um, but Terezi wants to talk to him about troll morality instead. Yeah, um, well, he, he, he says, like, he feels like someone needs to actually take Jack, uh, step to Jack and take him to justice. Um, mm. and then Terezi mentions that this sounds like he has a conscience or an exile, um, to which Dave says, oh, I've never had an exile. I've never had, uh, like, intrusive thoughts. 
that don't match my personality. Uh, that that would be illegal. Um. <laughs> and then proceeds to have his uh, exile talk to him. Yeah. Um. His is his. What is it? Something renegade. Is it munitions? Something. It's. I think it's aimless renegade. Aimless renegade. Um. And uh, it's it's the caution tape exile. The caution tape who, explosives guy. Yeah, he's trying to blow up the frog head, the extremely illegal um, artifact. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if this is, is this the first time we see him? No, I don't no. Think so. No, um, all four desert friends were like together pretty early. They are together. Okay, yeah. And it's getting dark out there now and he's trying to blow up the extremely illegal frog monument. Mm-hmm. But, um... Dave just starts talking about this extremely illegal artifact, like, and we need to put, uh, we need to throw people in the slammer. That's what you do when you're extra angry at crimes. Yeah, and he's trying to, like, rationalize the how these words that he's saying are, like, connected to the thing he's talking about to Terezi. Yeah. Uh, completely unaware, like, completely oblivious to the fact that he's being uh, controlled by this, or influenced, I don't know what exactly it would be. But, yeah, it's just very funny that, like, he just has no idea that this is happening. Um, and then I think that's when Terezi kind of takes over the conversation. Yeah, she talks about um, the role of legislatorators, um, which she tries to explain to him, but he's like, yeah, I figured out what that meant, like, from what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they are judge, jury, and executioner, mm-hmm. basically. They're, you know, they're sent to, to it, nominally, they, they people, people are tried after they're brought in by the legislator, but usually their corpse is tried. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she she's like seeking to bring Vriska to justice because like that's her duty as a legislator. Um, Which she isn't. She, that's her like, that's who she wants to be when she grows up. Basically. Right. She, yeah, she's like emulating her understanding of that. Um, so she thinks that uh, if Vriska if goes to fight Jack, um, not only will she die, she'll tip him off to their location. Um, mm. She's just not sure that if she confronts Vriska, she'll have the guts to finish her off. Um, and she might not like want to be ready to do that. Which is similar to like what Vriska was talking about with John about not being ready to want to kill Tavros. I think if I remember yeah, that properly, I think so. Yeah, um, where uh, she was talking about you know killing killing a friend in you know in cold blood is different. She's they've both murdered lots of people. Terezi would trick them to their deaths. Um, Vriska or uh, Vriska would also, I guess, trick them to their deaths. Um, she needed to feed her Lucis. Um, and Terezi did it to like win it games. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something different about, you know, troll societies all focused on your, your ability to engage in brutality and she can't actually, she's not sure she can handle, she's not sure she wants to be able to handle, like you said, like killing her friends. Yeah. And well, so Dave kind of like breaks it down and he's like, do you want me to tell you to be a better human or a better troll? Um, and that was really interesting because it, it feels to me like, like obviously the way that the trolls are written, they're basically just like really weird humans like their actual thought processes aren't different they're just like very different cultural norms yeah um and it it feels it really feels like like troll morality is this artificial like structure that's imposed on them that they they think they have to like naturally acclimate to but none of them like or almost none of them like actually thrive in that system which which might also just like further like call to make the ones that actually do thrive and are like sociopaths um like the ones who survived to adulthood yeah but it it doesn't it like it feels like their minds are like fundamentally human or like equivalent like they're not like they they have conscious they they have consciences yeah yeah they boy capitalist society huh (laughs) we do live in one 
Um, we live in one. Um, Dave does say about Vriska, if you kill her, we can all stop obsessing over her, which is really yeah. funny. <laughs> that's uh, the that's exactly the quote that I pulled. Like there, there you go. I love Terezi and Dave's relationship. Mm-hmm. They're great. They're good. They're good antagonistic buddies. Yeah. Um. Then we get a page. Uh, telling us that it's the end of year two, which is wild to me that this is only 2011. This is only two years in. Yeah. R- reminder that the story ended in 2016. Mm-hmm. So this is the end of so- disc one of Homestuck. Yes. And there's a, a, a whole fun thing with the, uh, so the, at the bottom of this like card, this like floppy disc is uh, like four red, uh, one blue and one red like circles, um, implying that those are like the acts, I guess. Um, and that the, uh, disc two is one green and one white. So I don't know what those yep. are. That's it. They just symbolize like acts and sub acts. Yeah. Um, and when those, like, when those curtains were in the game, I, I forgot to mention, I just had a note. I was like, I'm not sure if this is like symbolism or if it's just like a joke, like prolonging this suspense. And it was both. Um, I guess the one thing that you can note is that, um, the red and the blue dots, um, uh, are around when the trolls were introduced yeah that makes sense like four acts with like the human leads and then act five was trolls right mm-hmm. and then yeah well this is act five point like act five act one or act five act two that we're in right now um i think so yeah yeah um so remove disc one start disc two disc two is missing mm-hmm. <laughs> must insert disc two to continue and there's a whole like run around with uh Therese looking for disc two um yeah she she falls in a trap yeah, she falls into this like trap door uh, because there was a note apparently from Riska, very obviously from Gamzee. Very obviously to all but Terezi. Mm-hmm. Um, little cow is flying around in a lime green suit, um, which I think we talked about this in a relatively recent episode that we we found out that like oh like uh, Doc Scratch is made of little cow and a bunch of yeah. code that people wrote in their dreams. Oh, whatever. <laughs> You know, normal stuff. Like, fine. But, um, so little Cal, um, puppeted sort of by Gamzee are, 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 you know, zipping around behind her, um, to, and she's completely oblivious. She's, like, doing, you know, an investigation on the room. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things she investigates is a music box, and it's just a nice little showcase for musicians for the comic. Yeah. Different tracks they've done. Um, she also finds, uh, the Homestuck Disc 2 in a record sleeve, but then she puts it in the record player. <laughs> And she makes a big scratch on it. Ha ha! Um, and that's important for later. Um, <laughs> so this this is where they they kind of lampshade the um the the chess mechanic uh, because there's chess in this room containing her old flarping outfit and us like an important scale mate, uh, like mm-hmm. little white dragon. Um, and she thinks that it's just like Briska like setting up like. I want to like have a, a final showdown, basically. Yeah, uh, which but it's it's very clear to the audience that this is Gamzee trying to. Yeah, he's literally her. like in the room, moving very fast. Uh, she hugs the scalemate, and it's like replaced with Cal, just in you know, like a creepy panel. Honk, honk. Um, um, I want to. Can I shout out like the the? Can I shout out more broadly like what's going on in this scene? Yeah, sure. Make some metatextual commentary for sure. Um, so. The the music box page um really made me miss like times. I mean, it made me miss when the internet was weird. I mean, this whole comic does, mm-hmm. but that page especially makes me miss miss when like the internet was weird and it wasn't about 
necessarily just delivering like the coolest content Mm -hmm. you know and like driving engagement and that kind of thing there really was a lot more of people just putting shit up there that they thought was neat and it was you know yeah it does kind of derail the 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 narrative for a second but it's like hey look at this cool look at these just click them just that's all this (laughs) is is just click on a thing and watch a little record spin and listen to a song yeah you're right it's it really is like of a different time i guess um, yeah. And like, you could still make this today, um, but but it would... You wouldn't. Even if you made something, like, if you make something, like, deliberately meditative like this, where, like, you just click on something, um, it's, like, about that. It's about, like, taking a break uh, from, like, the chaos of modern internet. Whereas with this, it was just, like, a fun idea he had to, like, showcase some music. Because there was no chaos of modern internet, really, to... Well, I mean, there was starting to be. But... <laughs> yeah, there was, there was certainly chaos. Um, but I think we can all agree that it was not like uh, war is declared on Twitter chaos. I'm so what? I mean, that hasn't literally happened yet, but it's like you oh, know no. <laughs> the 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 world we live in. Mm. Um. Anyway, now we, we can. I, I want to shout out one other thing. Can I shout out one yeah. other thing? I'm trying to shout out the the the. I I realize we haven't been doing a great job of shouting out how multimedia this comic is. So mm-hmm. one of the songs that's really cool trying to like provide more imagery for people who aren't reading along um there's an unlabeled record track um by eric jit Scheel is is the the musician's name um that i i thought was really cool and then there's a track called xrom that i really liked um that just reminded me of um computer games i played in like the late 90s and early aughts of just like if you were there, you remember what edm or you know like <laughs> electronic tracks were kind of like at that time mm-hmm. and it just it it's fills me with delight <laughs> and it's it's just the the music that they include is 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 diverse and it's you know by all these indie producers and it's great yeah so absolutely it makes me feel young and free to listen to and i don't think just purely out of nostalgia i think it's it's a cool tone to strike it is okay sorry i'll stop derailing you now that's okay um so the note that uh is from gamzy that's like uh baiting uh, Terezi to come up to the roof to fight Vriska um, is written on the back page on the back of a page of uh, Vriska's ancestor's diary. Remember her. Remember her. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's uh, this uh, definitely isn't um, a parallel to the scene that's happening now, uh, and you don't have to worry about it. Basically, <laughs> not at all. Um. Um, I just wanted to shout out one like thing like I we won't like read through the like the pros of this because it it's fucked up like the uh what's her name Marquise yeah she's like a deeply fucked up awful character um shitty pirate her prose is really striking um yeah and I just wanted to shout out um the that the uh the subjugulators uh have high jinx spelled out like h i g h jinx and that just like mm-hmm. made me laugh. <laughs> it's good um but yeah it's a it's a, an account of how uh red glare the legislacerator uh completely destroyed the marquise's uh pirate fleet with the um with the glare of her her uh her red-eyed dragon which ties back into terezi's mm-hmm. dragon guardian i really we can't get all the way into it but it's <laughs> it's a parallel it's parallels <laughs> We're starting to get into to a place where there are so many like blind alleys and like superfluous flavor plot lines that mm-hmm. we can't 
it's hard enough to read and follow everything. We can't get into it all in the recap, but yeah, it's cool. It's cool flavor. It really doesn't especially help you understand what's going on. Yeah. So. Um. So there's like an account. This is like an account. Um. In the past tense, so we know that Mime Fang has survived. Um. But she describes like her trial. Um. Which is like a, a public uh hearing slash execution. Um. But where she's able to manipulate the the rowdy peasants uh, into turning on the legislature um and uh like killing her while Weinfang just kind of gets away yeah uh only to then face down the subjugulator himself who's this like enormous like house-sized burly like monster mm-hmm. quasi-troll thing that's a really striking image that i also have not stopped thinking about since 2011 and um brisk is a good villain her ancestress is also for the most part a good villain who's gratuitously gross in certain ways but Mm. they're compelling they are yeah compelling assholes compelling assholes that's the that's the comic (laughs) a family Um, can be 16 compelling assholes (laughs) i mean well well 14 because john and jade are fine It's beautiful. Oh, um, I also want to shout out uh, the bongo breakdown in this like flash, <laughs> which is it's superimposing like scenes from these ancestors with Terezi and Briska meeting on the roof. Mm-hmm. So like she's been lured up there, but Briska really is up here. Yeah, um, which it, which kind of like confused me. Um, but I guess just Gamzee knew that Briska was up there, and so mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but uh, we get back to the story and um. Terezi, we want to watch Terezi. It seems like we're bouncing back and forth a little bit in time because then we see Terezi um, on a transportalizer facing a whole bunch of blood. Um, and it's set up like a game, but if you try to walk, all you get is this glitched out objection screen. Right, and that and it's like tied to the um, the uh, the disc being scratched. Like, oh, you can't play uh, Homestuck Disc Two. You have to just watch what happens. Yeah. Um, and. <laughs> And so, yeah, there's the objection that's, like, both an objection to you trying to control it, uh, but it's also, like, it's the Ace Attorney objection, um, yeah. which is tied to Terezi being a, a lawyer. Um, and also, the music, uh, it actually it samples, um, like, the the uh, Ace Attorney, like, cornered music, um, which is, like, a, a, a banger. Uh, oh, uh, see or descend. So note that earlier this reading we had see or descend, now we have see or ascend. Yeah. Oh, I found the uh, track. Um it is okay. uh, in Terezi voice, blind justice, colon, investigation. <laughs> Terezi voice, Terezi typing quirk, you mean? Yes. Okay, but I like Terezi voice, I just wanted to, okay. Blind justice, investigation, cool. Um, And yeah, it's like, it samples, like, the my favorite track from Ace Attorney, and it's like, thematic and really good. Oh, now, I didn't, I didn't even catch that, because I don't play that, I've never played those games, but I'm, now I'm really curious about it. Um, I've only, I haven't even finished the first one, um, but it's just like a really fun, like uh, over the top child's imagination of what a lawyer would be. Nice. Um, yeah, it's fun. Um, so is Homestuck, but you cannot continue <laughs> to play. The disc is too badly damaged. There's some really cool glitchy pages as like the, the comic itself starts to like break down. The interface starts to look all weird. Mm-hmm. And then you get this, you know, in glitch text, the disc is too badly damaged. Visit doctor. <laughs> um before Iconic. we before we jump there um i did want to note there's a couple more things in the like uh ancestor stuff um we didn't mention that um after fighting the subjugulator 
uh, Mindfang goes to Darklear, which is uh, Equius's ancestor. Stupid name. Bad name. <laughs> Try he again. has sunglasses. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, in that, we find... He's, he's also... He, he's got like... Um, uh, God, I've been listening to Counter... He's got cyberware in his head. <laughs> so he's got like a big bald spot on the top of his head. And then like long hair falling down around it. That's very like, ooh, this this could be what washed up grown up Equius <laughs> could look like. Oh boy. It, out of all of the ancestors, it's most like washed up grown up Equius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, Darklear has been keeping something safe for her, uh, a cue ball, um, which ties Mindfang to Doc Scratch as well. Yes. Um, and they allude to how um, uh, Mindfang, uh, it, it told Mindfang how she was going to die, and she regrets that, and she learned that she would be killed by her future lover, the Summoner, who's Tavros with butterfly wings, who leads an uprising, the likes of which haven't been seen since the... Um, what is it? Uh, I can't remember what his name was. Oh, the oh, the um, symbols of the the somebody who the was... heretical symbols, where uh, symbols is spelled with the B as a six and the O as a nine, uh, which is <laughs> like first of all nice. Second of all, like the cancer symbol. <laughs> yes, aka. So that's gonna be Carcat. Yeah. Um. So I don't care. <laughs> um. But it's but... What, but it's what leads um the is it Condes? Is that how you say that? Yes. Is it and is that like the the Emperoress, basically. Yes. Um, it's what leads her to banish all adults from Alternia, uh, is this revolt led by uh, Tavros's ancestor. Yes. This is far in the future from, like, Mindfang's current time. Cause, yeah, cause she just, like, sees this in the future. Time. Yeah, so yeah. that's um that's what I wanted to check, whether that was actually true or just something she was, like, saying. No, that's 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 canonical that um, blue-blooded trolls live. Um, that's why I, like... This, the whole thing with like blood color is really uncomfortable. Because yeah, because there it, there are actual biological differences. Right. Anytime, anytime, like every sci-fi author ever does this, but it's like it's a parallel to human racism, except there are mm-hmm. biological differences. I'm like, <laughs> all right. I mean, you still shouldn't discriminate, but like now you've kind of polluted the whatever. But it's, I mean, it's it's also kind of like sad and interesting when taken in its own right. Of like, depending on like their their like blood color, it sort of like influences their metabolism, and so mm. like very blue-blooded trolls live like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years red-blooded trolls live like human lives short lives short right. human lives you know they 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 literally run hot like it's sad mm-hmm. um so you know for example like the summoner would like be born and die within her lifetime because he's got you know brown blood and she's got blue like a butterfly uh, yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, so it is actually pretty interesting, and that that is you, that was a good call. That's actually very important uh, history. Mm-hmm. That that is why troll society is like that. You can trace it back. Well, I mean, it was it was horrible and brutal before that, but um, but but there was this like catalyzing act that at least explains why these children now had to grow up in such a brutal world where they didn't have parents or an adult society to look up to at right. all, and it does raise themselves. And it does seem like. So my uh, previous theory was just kind of that this um, this journal was written like basically as from the perspective of a kid making this up. Um, whereas this seems a lot more like this is an adult who actually um, is living this and describing it. Um, yeah, this is this is real. Okay, <laughs> that's a cool fan theory, but like this all this really happened, or like at least at least in canon, these mm-hmm. were these were real adult trolls. So okay, well that was fun. Well I thought of it, but. It, it also yeah. it, it helps to like have that cleared up. Yes, but also put that put that notion in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah, okay. Put it in your back pocket. Hey, right. um, protect it in there. <laughs> um, okay, we have to visit the scratch doctor. Yeah, 
Ah! Okay, okay, okay. So, oh god. So reading this, I fucking hate this. Because I have ADD and it's really hard for me to, like, keep track of three different things. There are three concurrent storylines happening at the same time, literally on each same page. It's exhausting. <laughs> Doc Scratch fucking sucks. Fuck this guy. I, mean, I hate this guy. <laughs> I mean, t- I mean, it is nice that he turns the website green so we can read his text. Oh, but he's such a fuckhead. <laughs> Though, it's the thing. He's like, he's an example of like, okay, so Vriska's a, um, a a villain that you like love to hate. Vriska and her ancestor, for the most part, kind of love to hate them. They're mm-hmm. very compelling. Doc Scratch is a villain where I have to respect the author for doing such a good job at making <laughs> the reader viscerally hate him by just making him fucking frustrating to read. <laughs> he like antagonizes you personally. It is really, really interesting. Like it's one of the, really cool things about the format of the comic is that mm-hmm. you can antagonize the like the villain can antagonize the reader with the formatting yeah it reminds me of i'm so i'm listening to counterweight i'm listening to the counterweight arc of the friends at the table podcast um, mm-hmm. which is i i would very much recommend it's really cool one of the cool things about it is like there's a villain who sucks because he's like extremely like socially you know manipulative mm-hmm. in the way that extremely competent people can be and um that that sucks to watch play out, but it especially sucks when, like, it's literally two people in a room and it's a player character trying to accomplish something and the GM just shutting them down with those conversational tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, oh, it's infuriating. It's so hard to listen to. And it's great, but I hate it. Like, I had to take <laughs> breaks. Man, yeah. And we return now, our scholarly podcast. <laughs> um, We'll do, once we finish Homestuck, we can just do a breezy... um. Friends at the Table recap podcast. <laughs> no. Yes. No. <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe that's the next thing. Like, you need a podcast to get you to listen to. Maybe. To consume, you know? Because that was the whole thing with Homestuck, right? It was like, you were like, I'm never going to read this unless I, mean, I had, unless I was doing a recap podcast. And I was like, let's do a recap podcast. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> that's the origin story, baby. Oh, my God. Um. Okay, yeah, we have to, we have to go over what dr mr scratch says um he's basically making a i don't know how deep you want to go into what he's doing here i i want to hear what you're gonna say and then at some point i want to lay out visually how these three narrative threads are all being displayed and like go over them one at a time rather than trying to say like and then this happens and also as that's happening this and this i think that'll be impossible so i think there's like there's there's sort of an introduction and then Mm -hmm. things start to splinter and we'll want to go over the splinter threads separately from the main kind of interaction where it's like first Scratch interacting directly with you, the reader. Um, and then it begins him sort of narrating what's going on in the Troll and Kid storyline. Right. I mean, like, I didn't, I, I didn't like write down exactly what I thought was happening because I was just kind of taking it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically what I understand this as is kind of like he's talking about how... The way that we've seen, like, jokes, themes, characters, like, repeat themselves, like, throughout Paradox Space, like, in the, the different timelines, the different universes, um, like, events also repeat themselves um, with, like, equivalent actors. So we see, like, an example is um, the shot of Beck stabbing uh, through John's torso. We see the same thing with uh, Vriska, um, but... That's also in, like, it may or may not be in a splinter timeline because he's, like, doing this whole thing where he's imagining what would happen 
if Vriska went to fight Jack, but we don't know if that's what's happening or if uh, Terezi actually killed her. Um, but either way, it doesn't matter because Vriska keeps coming back because she's god mode, uh, god tier, I mean, uh, and can't be killed normally. Um, it's very confusing. Oh, oh man. Okay, so I can I can expand on that. Um, <clears throat> I can expand on that quite a bit. Um, yeah, this whole session, it makes me miss when I read it the whole, the first time, because it really does just kind of wash over you and it's super compelling and you do definitely later on end up having to go back and click the wiki and like read pages and be like, what the fuck yeah. actually like plot? Because it's one of those things where Hussey expects you, you're going to watch Cascade and Hussey's going to expect you to have understood right. what the fuck was going on there. And- I, I do want to say like, I, I read this a week ago and like at the time I kind of, I was following, um, I just... Mm. I cannot describe what was happening. Yeah, no, it was the kind of thing that even having read it a bunch of times, I actually had to sit down and like, I've got a wall of text. I actually, <laughs> okay. I, one of the lines is, God, this comic, comic is complicated. I'm ready. Okay, so there are double, triple storylines. So at first there's the main panel, like we've been seeing the big panel image and um, just narration text. Um, it's not a pester log. Scratch is like talking directly to us as though he's the narrator. So it, it starts out almost as just set dressing where the top banner area is um, an image of, of Doc Scratch's study, with, you know, cool stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's about to happen is a story's going to play out in that top panel that's basically concurrent to Scratch talking to us because he can sort of be in multiple places at once and focus on different things. So he's, you know, being an excellent host and narrating to us and meanwhile dealing with the shit that's about to pop off up there. Um, mm-hmm. meanwhile, um, there's the main panel is sort of less him talking directly to us and more him narrating something that's going on in the, in the main story. And there is actually a canonical narrative truth that's delivered that way, but I'll explain how that is. Um, and then okay. finally, um, uh, what is it? There will yeah. also be, <laughs> go ahead. The scrapbook? Um, so the scrapbook comes later, but yes, um, intermittently there will be, um, panels in the main area that show another perspective on what's happening in the top panel. So sometimes that spills over into the main panel. Meanwhile, the narration sometimes is about it and sometimes it's not. Um, and then at one point during the top panel storyline, um, Scratch, um, Scratch adjusts it to play out a completely different thing happening in the kids' story, as I believe then that top panel storyline migrates down to the main panel. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on. There sure is. Um, so uh, I want to go over the the top panel story actually first. This is what's literally happening. You want, as you're reading it, what you actually do is you focus on what, what Slick is narrating to you about um, the kids and the trolls. But in order to like <laughs> unpack this, the best way to do it is go, okay, here's what's literally happening to you, the reader, from your almost like self-insert perspective in Doc Scratch's study. Mm-hmm. So really quickly, what happens there is basically Spade Slick shows up in the study um, and, uh, oh God, hang on. <laughs> Hold he up, let me read my notes candy? for a second. Yes, he eats candy um, and is generally antagonistic. Um <laughs> He tries to, uh, um, he starts destroying the clocks in his study. He destroys the heroic slash just clock. Which we'll and this is a callback to the uh, Midnight Crew, like, yeah. uh, interlude, right? Yes. Yeah. With a, a 1,001 out of 1,000 clocks destroyed. Yeah. Um, and it's suggested that, you know, um, um, situational simultaneity 
uh, is that's, what's happening yeah, here. That's what I was trying to uh, remember the word for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they are fighting. Um, and okay. Okay. Oh, I didn't take notes on this. Okay. So let me just <laughs> remember what happens here. <laughs> Basically, they get in a fight. Um, Doc Scratch starts to send henchmen in after him. Um, and they like, uh, Slick starts fighting back. He eventually starts burning the study down. Um, and, uh, one of the henchmen comes in and just fills him full of bullets. He's dead. Okay. Then we cut to Snowman, if you remember her um, mm-hmm. from there. Um, she is the one who, if you kill her, the universe dies. <laughs> like, <laughs> you okay. destroy the universe. Um, she's the eight ball. So right. she, it's implied, sees all of this happening in the same panels in the main panel where we're talking about how Terezi is a seer of mind and, and watches alternate you know, possibilities play out. So, so snowman, it's, it's suggested what's really, we've been seeing is snowman watching this possible reality play out where slick gets filled with bullets. Okay. So she appears herself, um, in the story and redirects the bullets, like through her body back into the henchman that's trying to kill him. So he falls over dead. And then recall that she is the character who's like the reason that spade slick has like an eye patch and a missing arm. Mm-hmm. Like she has been very antagonistic to him and they uh, hate Snog. So they are um, kiss me Um And uh, then uh, Scratch gets like increasingly upset with this. He comes in and he cold cocks Slick in the head with this big giant bloody scrapbook. Um, yeah. That's got a whole bunch of, of um, blood on it. And you'll recognize it. Is ac- it's actually the dot tilde af programming language till death. Um, um, from the troll universe. What color blood is that on the it book? It is. I went through it. Okay, so the, it's not everyone's. It's Aridin, Vriska, Kanaya, Tavros, Nepeta, Terezi, Karkat, and Fefres. Damn, you really went through it. I really, really did. Um, the only blood missing is Equius, Solix, Aradia, and Gamzee. Okay. Um, I don't remember where it came from. Okay. Um, but so he hits Slick, um, his hat flies off, and it breaks the book. Mm-hmm. And then um, Slick punches Jack out the window follows him down to the ground and confronts him with a gun. And he says, you're not supposed to kiss her, Mr. Slick. You're supposed to kill her. And it looks like he's about to shoot her, shoot him. But what he does is he hands the gun to him by the, I don't know what you call it, the handle, the gun handle. There's a word for it that I don't remember. The the gun handle. I think it's called the stock. I don't know. Um, So it hands it to him. And in that panel where the barrel is pointed at his head, there's an image of an eight ball. Um, shimmering over his face, over um, Jack's face, or over face? over over Doc Scratch's face. Doc Scratch's face. So so now it's slick on the ground with this gun in his face, the handle of this gun in his face, with the barrel pointed at Doc Scratch. Um, the whole thing is that um, Slick was supposed to kill Snowman. You know, she was antagonizing him. Slick was supposed to kill her and thereby destroy the universe. Or, you know, kill Doc Scratch, which has the same effect, which will bring, remember, bring his employer into existence, right? That's his goal. He's trying to die to bring about his employer. Did we know his employer's name? Uh, Lord English. Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure whether that had been revealed yet. Yes. So he's trying to bring Lord English into the world by by getting himself killed. Um, Then um, Scratch hands Slick the gun um, and he cuts out that panel. 
Okay, <laughs> so that's what goes on in that storyline. Meanwhile, somewhere in there, that became the main panel, mm-hmm. and um, Scratch adjusted. Uh, he 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 implies that what's been playing out in that in that pop panel was actually like a screen that he had control over. So he like shakes it and adjusts it to show you something else. Um, just he's... just before we um move on from that, I yeah. just wanted to note that when um when Doc Scratch throws space like out the window, um that was the first time. I realized that there was anything else on the moon besides Doc Scratch's house. He's like oh, in a yeah. penthouse, like in a city. Uh, I thought it was just his house up there. Nah, it's which the I get, moon. <laughs> I mean, like, and like, I don't know why I thought that because like it's a spacefaring civilization. Like, of course, their own moon would have like stuff on it, but it just never occurred to me. Well, I mean, because they don't they don't spend a whole time a whole long time harping mm-hmm. on the idea that um, if you recall, these are actually the exiles. The Carapace people in this world are the Alternian exiles. They are the trolls' exiles. Right. So. So is this is the same moon as that the exile moon. Yep. Okay. Yep. I I did know that. Then I guess I just forgot. Yeah, there's just a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. Um. So yes. So that plays out. Then, as as um Scratch adjusts the narrow fenestrated panel, um. We switch to just a quick little scene, silent scene between uh, Dave and Jade, where they're harvesting frogs to breed them on um, Jade's planet uh, in order to kindle the forge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jack shows up and mm-hmm. is just doing a whole bunch of murders. Um, and they're breeding frogs on uh, the land of Frost and Frogs. And then uh, Beck Noir shows up. They start fighting. Noir uses his space powers to reroute Jade's bullets because she fights with, like, assault rifles, um, mm-hmm. which uh, reads a little differently in 2019. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, she fights with an assault rifle. Um, and so Noir basically phases the bullets through his body, redirects them back to Dave. Um, and then she, uh, we, we got back to them. Jade's uh, bending over his body, like, knowing that she has to kiss him to kind of bring him back to life. And uh, Noir is, like, just over her shoulder. He's still there. Mm-hmm. That's that storyline. Now, <laughs> we return to our regularly scheduled programming. This is actually the main um, story that's happening with the kids. Okay, so um, the way that these panels were laid out, um, I everything you just said, I basically didn't even notice. Whoa. Because, like, it was in, like, scrapbook pages and, like, in between panels. And I was just, like, focusing on the, the, the Vriska story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the kind of thing that you would have to go back and reread. Um, like I, like when I saw that, like the uh, scrapbook pages, I thought those were just like flashbacks that were thematically relevant. But no, it's a whole other story happening. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh gosh, and we're gonna get into those. We're actually about to spend the next two episodes just going through those clippings for the most part. Oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the the the, the Doc Scratch storyline ends on actually him going, "What a mess!" Like, feel free to examine the clippings while I tidy. Okay. Um, and what you're about to be able to do is click through a bunch of different, you know, short little, you know, stories on each of the characters, um, which made me think, um, he's like, oh, what a mess. And he like contrives this, this whole thing of like, now you're going to clip on the, click on the clippings on the one hand, like cool job, um, multimedia storytelling, but also, um, uh, what I wrote was, did Hussey conceive of this entire device just to get out of writing a continuous narrative running up to Cascade? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, on the one hand, it's like, this is a cool device. I now lean more towards, like, this was a cool narrative device to use. Mm-hmm. But um, but it also makes me think of the way that, like, Hussey didn't necessarily have... Um, for all that Hussey killed his darlings, he didn't kill his darling um, parallel storylines. 
<laughs> and there's just like so much going on. He likes to show you everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, very little happens off screen. And so th at this point, like it's starting to proliferate beyond the ability to do it, beyond the ability to even pretend to do it as like, no, we cut to this and then we cut to this. Like it's I'm not even going to try to be linear anymore. You can figure out how this all goes together. I mean, I yes, but also I I think a lot has happened off screen so far, like especially I think I mentioned last time, like most of the uh, the trolls spurb section or session, mm -hmm. sorry, um, like just wasn't shown it was just implied to be similar to what the kids experienced that's true but still the amount of stuff that happens on screen is like really feels too much yeah for sure <laughs> this comic's just really big but you gotta remember it came out serially so like in between updates when you could like rehash everything with the fandom it was manageable mm -hmm. um now you've got a friendly podcast <laughs> uh y'all can't see the eyebrows i just did but there was some eyebrows that happened for you uh. Okay, so for the um the Vriska and Terezi storyline, I do have notes because I was actually following it. Please. Um take us away. so uh what happens is basically uh, Vriska and Terezi uh, have a, a standoff um where uh Terezi basically Doc says like uh Vriska isn't gambling that uh Terezi won't be able to kill her. Uh like the she knows that she won't be able to kill her. Um what she's gambling with is um whether Wait, is that right? Yeah. So what's she gambling with? Sorry. Um, she let me let me read. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. Okay. Yes. So so there we are. Um, Terezi flips a coin and she says, "Heads you stay, tails you go." She just says, "Go." Um, what they both mutually know, Terezi is purporting to say, is that "go" means fight Jack, but they also both know that Terezi really means "I kill you right here." Right. Um. But uh, Briska knows that Terezi can't bring herself to kill her. And so um, she is actually pretty confident. You know what I mean? She's not actually gambling with that uh, uh, coin flip at all. She knows that she's going to get out of this scot-free. Um, meanwhile, we, we cut over to Rose and she's failing to beat Jack again. And she blows up the battlefield pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, dies. Then John comes back to life because now might be a good time to talk about heroic and just. Yeah. So. Um... We find out that as a god tier player, um, normal death won't stay won't stick. Basically, um, mm. for what I understand, you can only die as a god tier player if your death is heroic or just. Yeah. Um, and if it's and that's um symbolized by this this pendulum ticking back back and forth between them between the two concepts. Um, and it's I guess like if it's somewhere in the middle, then you don't die. Yeah, this is this beautiful gold um, grandfather clock in in Doc Scratch's study. It literally exists. Yeah, which um, uh, which is like like breaks. Yeah, yeah, he 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 breaks it um, later on, and that's that's Briska's death, which we're getting to. Mm -hmm. um, so so John comes back to life because his death was neither heroic or just. He just got like ambushed in the middle of doing something, um, and so now his job is going to be to kiss Rose and and. Uh, bring her back to life um and as that's happening briska is messaging him urging him to bring rose back um back to life by kissing her and then also uh explaining that she likes him and like wants to go on a date with him yeah um and 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 it's sad because she's like you know maybe she wants to to lay down you know what she perceives as this this burden of of having to be as murderous as she is mm -hmm. right she wants to be able to stop 
sweating that um, kind of poignant. I don't think it's a redemption, but like I said, she's a good villain. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so meanwhile, on the rooftop, um, that's when Terezi shows up. And uh, so uh, Briska gets away from that uh, coin flip. And mm-hmm. uh, Jack follows her. Um, and uh, Well, so, sorry, what happens is uh, she flies off to confront Jack. And when yeah. he when she reaches him, uh, he just kind of like looks behind her and sees that she's left this like literally this glittery trail because uh, yeah. she's like god tier and like has butterfly wings and has just left this like sparkle trail directly back to the lab where they are and he just yeah. like teleports away from her. Yeah, he teleports away, teleports back, drops Terezi and Karkat's bodies at her feet. Yeah, like just instantly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Vriska, uh, they say, or Scratch tells us, has a good shot at beating him because she's been stockpiling luck this whole time. And so her dice are kind of loaded. She plays with dice and her Mm -hmm. dice are about to give her a really good, um, attack. Yeah. But, (laughs) but, uh, what Scratch tells us is that Terezia's seer of mind knows that that's not the alpha timeline, um, because, uh, what is it? the that's that can't be the alpha timeline um because jack is about to go just rampage and uh murder everyone and that like do you know what i mean i can't remember exactly why it is she said that that's like not that's not yeah, possible i um, i kind of lost the thread there oh man <laughs> um uh, go well, back I, have, I have notes uh doc starts talking about how a seer of mind would predict differently from himself mm-hmm. um and terezi is a seer of mind um, Doc says this fight he's projecting wouldn't be on the Alpha timeline. Uh, the one, oh, it's because the one, the Alpha timeline is the one that contains his birth and death. Yes. So a a timeline where he doesn't die doesn't work. Yeah. Um. Therefore, in the Alpha timeline, Terezi must kill Vriska. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> um. But yeah. So then. Um. Yeah. Sorry, I misspoke earlier. The um. The parallel between. Uh, Jack stabbing John is that is actually uh, Terezi stabbing Vriska through the torso. Yes. Um, okay. So, what sort of story would this be with our knight and seer made to stay cadavers? Certainly not one the Alpha timeline would allow. Um, she basically. So, what they're suggesting is that um, Terezi may not necessarily understand that this is tied to um, uh, that this is tied to Lord English's arrival or not. Um, Doctor Scratch's death. But um, she can at least figure. She can at least see that, like, the Alpha timeline does not involve, you know, she and Carcat staying dead, um, or at least it's not her Alpha timeline, right? Mm-hmm. And so, despite the fact that she's not ready to murder Vriska necessarily, like, out of her own reasoning via her like seer powers, she realizes that she has to stop her, or like in the Alpha timeline, she must stop her, and so. As soon as Vriska turns away from that coin flip, she stabs her through the chest. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, um, like as this happens, um, Karkat arrives on the roof just in time to witness it um, yeah. with a note in his hand from, uh, quote unquote, from Terezi, uh, promising sloppy makeouts. <laughs> Pro sloppy makeouts on the roof now. <laughs> um, so Karkat's up there and then uh, Solix and Kanaya are behind him. Um, and he, he finds Terezi standing over Vriska's body. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's horrified. And then Gamzee is behind all of them, uh, 
wielding Zillihu. So this is where we got that shot a while mm-hmm. ago of him uh, looming, holding uh, the hammer of Zillihu. How did he get it? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, and then it kind of ends you on um, Riska's messages to John uh, before he goes into the blackout, which is what happens when he goes into Rose's sort of grim dark aura. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she berates him for not knowing off the top of the head that uh, breathing life uh, back into Rose with a kiss is like an option in the game. Um, and she kind of like lists all the ways like resurrections possible. Yeah. Um, which I think we actually like, like breathing life uh, with a kiss like that happened pretty early i think but i had forgotten about it as well yeah um so she's sort of also berating the audience mm-hmm. um and this is where uh uh she asks him on a date and uh confesses she wants to um she wants to beat the game she wants to meet him uh she wants to beat the game so that she can meet him and uh she wants to let down you know her burden of having to be a murder troll yeah <laughs> it's uh it's sad it's sad um after she's dead john answers and says, like, yeah, I'd like to go on a, a date, sure. Um, after kissing Rose, so she's okay. Um, but then uh, on on this very sentimental chat log between John and Briska, uh, Carcat picks up. Yeah. <laughs> I forget the exact words. It's like, what the fuck, Egbert? <laughs> and then um, uh, John's trying to, like, ask him what's going on. And he's like, okay, wait, wait. And this is, like, what I love about Carcat is he's this, like, asshole but he's also so sensitive so he's like wait did you actually like have feelings for her and they waffle back and forth about that and Mm -hmm. and Karkat's just like did you like her you idiot (laughs) and he's like I guess and so Karkat's like then don't worry about it I need you like (laughs) I need your wits about you (laughs) and he doesn't he doesn't tell him that that Risk is dead right but I mean was that a, a just or heroic death so and and uh that's the thing is that um uh what they're what they what they say with the clock smash is um uh that wait a minute um okay yeah so if you look carefully at the panel where um slick is smashing the clock um where it is sort of deliberating on whether briska's death is heroic or just it stops on just okay and the idea is that at the end of the day you know she thought she was being heroic to go try and stop jack but you know it's kind of just to stop her from that it was just to stop her from that. Yeah, she was going to bring about everyone's um, destruction. And uh, she knew that. I mean, she knew that, like, she might lose. And she was underestimating, you know, mm-hmm. the, the or, you know, not acknowledging how, <laughs> what a terrible consequence it would be for all of her friends to die because she wanted to go be the hero. Right. And so, and, and also she's kind of a nightmare character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was a just death. Riska stays dead. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm... It's 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 too bad that we'll never see Briska again. Mm-hmm. Only a- uh only three hundred three thousand eight hundred seventy two pages in. Yeah. And the the main character's gone. <laughs> oh, it's a shame. That's oh, just a shame. <laughs> um. So meanwhile, uh, Rose's dream self wakes up. Mm. Um. Still going black, but not like grim dark. Mm-hmm. Um. And she's not sure what's up. I think she's like a bit confused. Mm-hmm. But we don't see what's going on with her yet. Yeah, it's, uh, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> all wraps up on, now we're going to examine these clippings. Okay. Uh, I think it's Doc who says, if or no, it's, sorry, it's Karkat who explains to John, um, basically to sum up the, the plan with the, uh, the scratch, uh, if the plan's successful, they'll end up in a new session with alternate versions of themselves. Yeah. Um, and so 
we'll find out what that means, I guess, at some point. Yeah. But before then, <laughs> we're going to have to read some scraps. Yeah. We're going to have to read a lot of scraps and then see Cascade, which we have made its own whole episode because holy shit, I hate when this happens in media and this is like the epitome of it. And it's such a cool, good visual that, that they get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, Cascade's really cool. I can't wait to get to it. We are finally fucking getting there. Oh my god, it's been yeah. literally almost four years <laughs> just to get to this point, but I'm so hype out of my mind. Me too. Um, so yeah, thanks for um, sticking with us. Um, again, we're hoping to get a bit more consistent, or at least uh, not maybe it's not consistent, just more prolific. Uh, yeah. Relatively. Um, I guess some updates. I'm going back to school in the fall. Um, so I'm gonna be busy, but hopefully like have a, a healthy mind space. Mm. Um, and so I'm gonna try to make time for, for this. Yeah. And I've got, um, a steady, I drive out of grad school. Uh, <laughs> I've got a nice like steady job that's like not too draining. Um, and, uh, you know, shortly after achieving that, I then commenced like a really long renovation project. I like moved in with my partner and we, had to do like major renovations on our fucking house uh mm. but that's done now i live here like i have a bed <laughs> i'm not sleeping <laughs> on a mattress on the floor i'm not freaking out constantly so i'm hoping it really feels like things are going to kind of be chill from here on out like life is still a reality and this is never going to be <laughs> probably a regular podcast again but mm -hmm. it's, we didn't forget about you like we're still hyped about this podcast fucking four years later <laughs> yeah i think like honestly the fact that um i like i, I read homestuck still and i'm just like oh this shit is sick um means that no matter how long it takes we'll we'll get through this we will get through this we will get through this with you um yeah. and thanks for coming along on the ride like yeah really um we have uh i mean we we're on we're on a network now um yeah it's 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 very it's very low-key it's not like a maximum fun thing it's just um uh my friend matt uh has a lot of server space and thought that one of the best ways he could use it is to host his friends podcasts and so we're on the noise space.xyz network um and it's it's just uh it's free real estate it's free hosting um <laughs> and we're really appreciative to to matt and to everyone on the noise space network um if you want to check out some other shows there i'm on one called henry kissinger's pokemon going to die um which is not a threat it's just a fact uh it's a podcast about politics that we try to make fun instead of awful um oh, they succeed i would say that the the hosts the hosts are successful thank you um i was on last night and we talked about um what did we talk about funny things i don't know my <laughs> brain's a sieve um but yeah that's an example of the good kind of podcast you can find there um including this one now um just as a technical note um when we moved to noise space um all of our show notes, which we had written on Tumblr, uh, broke because the Tumblr redirect links that Tumblr gives you for any link you put in the body of text uh, will break after a certain time. Um, so I'm slowly rebuilding those. Um, Thank you, but... Alex, for saving the show. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, if you're subscribed uh, on any... Well, it was we were only on the iTunes store before and on Libsyn, but now we're on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Google Play um and if you're on the itunes subscription feed uh it should just automatically update to the new feed um but we'll keep the libsyn feed going for a little while to uh migrate there's like a, a migration function built into libsyn 
cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. I gotta say, this is all like Alex, like she made all of this happen with her like awesome like network um, and, and <laughs> online general activity and being a cool person and active in the podcasting community. I have kind of gone to ground. Uh, I am not very online. I think maybe a handful of y'all follow me from like way back in the old days, but I like put my Twitter on private to go have a really weird couple of years. Um, I want to throw my hat over the fence here. Um, I'm going to go back public. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that yet, but hopefully, um, soon I am going to have like a public handle. Um, it might be the same. It might be different. Um, so that I can actually like interact with y'all and, and interact with the, the, like the podcasting community because I'm ready to not, to not have my head in the sand constantly. Um, well, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, this has been the Hamstake Podcast and thank you so much. I forget what we say at the end. We don't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We say we forget how we sign off. And then we remember that we don't have a sign off still. It's in 43 episodes. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Thank you.